0: Thanks for tuning in to the Middle School Ministry podcast for Cornerstone Chapel. Let's head into the service and see what Pastor Turner has to share this week. Alright, let's open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 6, guys. We're going to continue through the Gospel of John. We're actually going to remain in this chapter for a couple weeks. We're going to be in here for about four weeks, and so for this week and the next three weeks, we're going to, um, it's a fairly large It's a fairly large cha- chapter. There's a lot that goes on. We're going to talk about some, some of the specifics of it, but in review, uh, just last week, we were in chapter five, and we we're talking about uh, the man with, who was healed by Jesus at the Pool of Bethesda and uh, how he was born, or he had been an invalid for 38 years, and he was unable to walk, but Jesus uh, reaches out to him, asks him if he wants to be healed, and tells him to stand up and take his mat, and when he does, he uh, begins to walk home, rejoicing that he's been healed by God, but it's on the Sabbath day, and it was against the law to carry your mat on the Sabbath, and we talked about the ridiculousness of the Sabbath law, and that that had become uh, what it was in Jesus, in Judaism and even to this day, and how God never intended for such things to be in that way, and how Jesus was breaking the traditions of man by doing this. And the emphasis for you and I was that sometimes God will work in your life or in others' lives, and it will be in a way that's non-traditional. It's not a way that you would expect, maybe for yourself or for that other person. And we need to leave room in our lives for God to do things that are uh, what we that are beyond our understanding, that are beyond our uh, really uh, knowledge, because there's only so much that we know about the situations of other people and of God himself, but he's all-knowing. And so when it would seem like someone else doesn't deserve, because of the way that their life is, the way that they're living their life, the things that they've done, uh, to have God minister to them, or heal them, or work in their life, uh, we need to leave room for God, because he's all-knowing, all-loving, and he wants to work in everyone's life, and he's not going to be bound by the laws of physics, or any other thing, he's going to do exactly what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it, And so that really, that healing in the pool of Bethesda leads us into a series of miracles that we're going to look at over this week and next week. Um, So it'll be three weeks in a row of different healings. We're going to look at the second one this week in chapter six, which is the healing or the feeding of the 5,000. So let's look at this this morning. We're going to start in verse one of chapter six, and we're going to read through just to verse 15, and then we'll pray and we'll get into our Bible study this morning. So let's start in verse one. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed over the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. When Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, the Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word this morning. Thanks for your time of worship, Lord God, that you've provided for us. Lord, we, we do truly uh, need to know in a greater magnitude, Lord God, how much you love us, Lord, the depth of your love. And so, Lord, I pray that that song would resonate in our hearts this morning, that we would think often of how much you love us, that, Lord, we would settle in our hearts that we are loved by the creator of this world, that we are chosen by you, and that, Lord, it's your mercy and your grace that you've brought us close to you to know you. And even in this place this morning, Lord, as we sit in these chairs, as we wake up, as we begin to hear the word, Lord, see the story that that you lived out, Lord. We ask that you would teach us and show us and reveal to our hearts something that we need to see this morning. So, Father, you know each one of us uniquely where we are and what's going on in our lives. And so we lift up to you, Lord God, this Bible study time and ask for you to speak to us, to minister to us, to help us. And we expect, Holy Spirit, that you will help us and teach us. And so we thank you and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. There's approximately 43 to 45 miracles recorded in the Gospels uh, of Jesus, specifically. Uh, I say 43 to 45 because uh, some people would record uh, the resurrection of Jesus as, a, uh, as one of the miracles that Jesus performed, which it is truly miraculous that he rose from the dead. Um, but I think more along the lines of what he did for other people um, in the sense of raising other dead people, or feeding other people, or healing other people, or casting demons out of other people in that regard. Um, so when you begin to look at the Gospels, all four of them as a whole, you, you come across all of these uh, miracles that Jesus does in his three-year ministry. The book of John is unique because in the book of John, the majority of the miracles that are recorded are only recorded in John's Gospel. They're not found in the other Gospels. Only. Uh, Two of them are found in any other Gospels. One is this one right here, the feeding of the 5,000, which is the only miracle recorded in John that is actually found in all four of the Gospels. And the other is the miracle where Jesus restores the ear back on the high priest's servant when he goes to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. right before he is put on trial. If you guys remember the story, the crowds come to arrest Jesus and Peter draws out his sword and chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. His name is Malchus. Jesus reaches down, puts the ear back onto the servant and then he rebukes Peter. Uh, that's recorded in, in one of the other gospels as well. But every other miracle that we look at in this book of John, this gospel of John, is unique to this gospel. But this one is found in all four. And I find it interesting and intriguing that, he would, that this one would be the main one that's found in all four, the feeding of the 5,000. You know, uh, miracles are an interesting thing because when you think of the whole idea of what a miracle is, and we've talked about this a little bit last week, it's really an act of God moving outside of the realms of physics. You know, when you think about feeding 5,000 people from a few loaves of bread and some fish, it's truly an impossible feat for any one of us to do. I could never go and, and make enough. If I took that box of bagels over there on the counter and said, we're going to feed the entire church, you know, with this box of bagels, you might look at me and go, you're crazy. But with Jesus, you wouldn't say that. You'd say, okay, cool, whatever. Of course, we would say that on the back side of the story. But on the front side of the story, it's a very different story, isn't it? And that's what I want to draw your attention to, because there's two things in this story that I brought out specifically. The first one is, is that the story is of why people come to even follow Jesus. Look at me w- with you. look with me, if you will," in verse two, where it says, "And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw miraculous signs he had performed on the sick." Jesus had a way of drawing a crowd. Many places in the Gospels, when you read about his life, when he was, when he was walking th- uh, through towns and he was in, his, in the middle of his ministry, crowds of people would gather around him and they would just want to hear him speak or they would want to see him do something or they would have a need themselves that they would request of Jesus. And many, in fact, many of the miracles are someone getting a hold of Jesus and saying, please help me do this. But he had a way of drawing a crowd and It was no mistake that Jesus was something unique and special in this time. I think that the crowd, the people that were following Jesus, had many different reasons. Many different reasons. I think that uh, one reason that they followed him, which we touch on here in this story, is that the people truly believed that Jesus was going to be an earthly king, that he was going to oust the Roman government from Israel, and that he was going to establish himself as an earthly king during his three-year ministry. In fact, if you look there at the end in verse uh, 15, it says there, uh, it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You see, Jesus knew the hearts and the intents and the thoughts of all the people that were coming around him. So 5,000 people, he knew exactly kind of what the thought was going on in their minds and in their hearts. And he knew that they were going to try and And bring him in as king over Israel by force. This was not the time that Jesus was going to establish himself as king. This was not the time that Jesus was going to assert himself as the ruler of all the world. He is going to do that, and we know that. We've talked about this many times. When Jesus returns after the rapture for his second coming, See, the rapture will come and then the second coming will will occur. When that occurs, Jesus will establish himself a throne on earth for 1,000 years during the millennial reign that we talk about in Revelation that we read. For 1,000 years, Jesus will sit on a throne and rule over the known world. But it wasn't to be at this time during the Gospels. This is the time when Jesus came to lay down his life for you and me. This is the time when Jesus came to give himself for us, so that he could build for himself, open up a door for himself to build a kingdom for himself of people that would be with him, that he can truly rule over. You see, right now, the people had a misunderstanding of Jesus. In fact, even Jesus' own disciples uh, come to him in Matthew chapter 20, two of them. The mother of two of the disciples come to him, and and she says to Jesus, when you take your earthly kingdom, and when you take your place, and you become a king, can one of my sons sit on your left side and one of my sons sit on your right side? And Jesus looks at the guys because their mom's with them. And I think she was well-intended, but he looks at the guys, the disciples, and he says, can you even drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they're like, yeah, we can drink that cup. They had no idea what they were talking about. The cup that Jesus was gonna drink from was the the cup of giving his life up. He was going to die on a cross. He was gonna he was going to sacrifice his life, an innocent, perfect, only perfect man ever, for sinful, fallen, unperfect man. You and me. He was going to give that up. And he knew that these two disciples would never be able to fulfill that or never be able to take that place because they were sinful and fallen already. The fact that they were looking at it this way shows that they had a, a misunderstanding of God's kingdom and his, his way of working and the things that he was about. I oftentimes wonder if Jesus wasn't doing this, the miraculous signs and wonders that he was doing in his ministry, if many people would have followed him. If he just would have given the sermons that he gave. Because he would go into the synagogues and he would teach and he would teach with authority. He would open up the Old Testament and he would show them... Uh, the commands of God, the way of God, the things that they were in error of, and he would correct them, rebuke them, he would teach them with authority. Even from a young age of 12 years old, Jesus was found in the temple teaching with authority because he is God, he was God, he is the word of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, when, uh, when we started this book, remember it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He knew it all because he wrote it all. It came from him. So he had this ability to teach, but because he performed miracles, he garnered for himself much more prominence and much more, uh, much more of a crowd. And so people were following him, some for the right reasons, some for the wrong reasons. I, I think, I wonder if, <clears throat> if, Jesus, if, for instance, and I'm not saying there is, so don't misunderstand me, if Jesus wasn't the only way to heaven, would people still follow him? I think they would. I think they'd follow him if he was doing miracles. I think if he was raising the dead and healing the sick, they would follow him because their motive is to get from him something that they need. I think at the core of all of that is an understanding that there's something greater that we need from God that we can't do for ourselves. There's something that we can never provide for ourselves. It's when Jesus puts the rubber on the road in our lives and the teachings get hard, that you see people waver in their following of Jesus. For instance, when Jesus commands us that we need to be forgiving to other people, we need to have exercise forgiveness when we've been wronged. Or when Jesus says that we need to purify our hearts and walk and exhibit fruits of repentance, if you will. We need to turn away from sin and and live a life that glorifies God. Or when Jesus tells us that we need to be giving sacrificially out of our needs, Or when Jesus tells us that we need to prefer others over ourselves, not being selfish any longer, but considering the needs of others over our own needs and desires. When he says the things that are contrary to our nature, that's when it gets tough. That's when it's hard to follow Jesus. That's when the followers of Jesus, which we're going to find uh, in chapter six, actually, many desert and they fail to continue to follow Jesus. Many people start off, in a relationship with the lord on a really cool level and oftentimes it's something that's unique and it's special and when they begin to walk with the lord and they begin to experience the difficult things of the lord that are not easy and fun they wander they lay it down they stop following one of the questions we need to ask ourselves are why are we following jesus this morning is he simply a fire escape from hell is he something that allows me to not go to hell and that's why i'm following jesus because some pastor gets up and tells me that he's the only way and if I don't want to go to hell, I'm going to, just going to follow Jesus? Is that the reason that you're following him? Is that the reason you've said, I'm going to surrender my life to him? Because what I want to tell you is that Jesus is more to you and for you than simply a fire escape from hell. He is the only way. But he told us that he came to give us life and to give it to us Abundantly. In fact, he is the life. He is the only life that truly exists on this planet today. He is alive and living, and in him, you will be alive and living, spiritually speaking. And this leads me to the second point that I want to bring up, is that this story is a story of provision by God. When he looks at Philip, and look at me there in verse 5, it says, when Jesus saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asks him a leading question. He's looking at Philip and he's saying, he's saying to Philip, he's kind of baiting him. He's saying, where are we gonna find money you know, to buy uh, bread? Where are we gonna buy bread for these people? Where are we gonna get this? There's 5,000 people here, they need to eat. And I love the follow-up for that in verse six. It says, he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus had in mind that he was going to feed these people. He was going to take care of them. He was going to provide for their needs. They had no clue that he was going to do it. The disciples weren't sure. Now, if you follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a disciple of Jesus this morning. You are a disciple. You are no different than Philip or me or anyone else that follows Jesus. We are disciples of Christ. And oftentimes God will enter into your life and ask you a question in your heart that will lead you to a series of decisions that you need to make. Has God ever entered into a situation in your life where you've been in a difficult time, something bigger than you could take care of yourself, maybe a family situation, maybe a sickness, maybe a situation with a friend, that's on the outs. Maybe you're struggling in school. Maybe it's something else. But have you ever been in a situation like that and it seems bigger than you? It seems like it's impossible and it just doesn't seem like there's any way for it to be fixed or touched or helped. I've been in those many times. I think that Jesus saw Philip and he saw that there's a situation that was bigger than Philip to take care of. Philip says, man, eight months wages can't pay for enough bread for them to just have a bite. There's so many people here. How could we even afford to do it? We can't do this. But the reality is, is that Phil's perspective was off. His perspective of God was off. When you're facing a difficult situation and you're literally being tested by God in that situation because he tests your faith, he will test your faith. Is your tendency to run to people and things or is your tendency to run to God in the midst of that situation? Is your tendency to go and find a friend that will listen to you and you can kind of bend their ear and say, oh, did you hear what happened this and this and that? And you begin to just kind of vomit the situation out to them, you know, verbally speaking. (laughs) Is your tendency to go to things... I can't handle the pressure of this. I'm going to fail. I'm just going to go play Xbox. I'm just going to lose myself in my games. Or I'm going to go play sports. Or I'm going to go do this or that. Or whatever it is. I read. Whatever it would be. Is your tendency to go to things that are contrary or other than God in the midst of a situation that's bigger than you to handle? Because that's really the situation here with Philip. Philip and the other disciples. It's bigger than what they could ever provide for. It's bigger than what they could ever handle. And their tendency is to look at the natural, the things of this world, when Jesus is simply trying to point them towards himself, saying, guess what, I can provide. This is a story of provision. And this morning, Jesus has for you and he has for me a provision That's greater than we can think of. It's greater than we understand. It's greater than our minds can literally understand and capacitate because he is bigger than all of that. And he is not bound. Jesus is still performing miracles to this day. He's still performing miracles to this day. His Holy Spirit is in the world and he's doing things in the lives of people, both deserving and undeserving. Let me share with you an example in my own personal life. When I met the Lord on that Wednesday night when I was 17 years old in that home group, I had requested prayer for my mom. My mom was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer earlier that week. And so my world was r- literally rocked because not I didn't know the Lord. I wasn't a Christian. My dad had abandoned our family. My mom was the only one left in our family, and now she had breast cancer, and we weren't sure what that meant. And you know, 25 years ago, you know, when cancer was mentioned, we didn't have the knowledge of it that we do today, of how it can be treated and, and how it can actually be beaten medically. So it was a big word. It was a scary word. It was something that put fright and fear in me, and I thought, wow, I'm going to lose my mom. I don't have a dad, and I'm going to lose my mom. This is great. And I had despair, and I had fear, and I had dread. And so when I went to that Wednesday night Bible study, and they said, is there anything that we can pray for? That was the catalyst that God used in my life to introduce himself to me. I said, you can pray for my mom. She's diagnosed with breast cancer. We're not sure what's going to happen. I had never asked for prayer ever before in my life. That was the first prayer request that I ever brought before the Lord. And they said, okay, well, we're going to pray for your mom. And they gathered around me, and they prayed for my mom as they put their hands upon me and they prayed for me and my mom. And as they prayed for me, the Lord just sovereignly revealed himself to me. It was a miracle because not only did I accept the Lord that night, my mom was healed of breast cancer. God just had mercy on my family. He had mercy on my mom. He had mercy on me. God is still performing miracles today. He's still doing his work. He hasn't changed. He's a God of provision I want you to know one thing, though, for sure. Even if God hadn't healed my mom, he's still sovereign, he's still all-powerful, he's still great and loving. His love for me, his love for my mom never changed. My mom still, you know, God forbid this, she still could die of cancer. She could get cancer in another form. She's going to go on and eventually die. I'm going to go on and eventually die. Even if he had healed me of cancer, I'm going to eventually go on and die unless the Lord comes back today. So it's a temporary thing. But there's an eternal work that God's doing in your life and in my life and in the lives of of many, many people today. And so you need to ask yourself this question Why am I following Jesus? And if I'm facing something bigger than me, am I giving God the opportunity to work in that? Am I giving God the place that He deserves in that part of my life? And if you're not this morning, then I want to encourage you you can trust God. You can trust his hand, his power, his authority. You can trust his will for your life. I can't say it any more plainer than that. You can surrender your whole life to him, your future to him with joy because he loves you and cares for you and he's come to give you life abundantly. Jesus wants to just give you life abundantly. He wants you to know him personally, intimately. The benefit of that, that when you get to know him is that You get to experience his character, his nature, who he is, and the joy is that you realize that this will go on for eternity. It will not end because when we stop in this life, we just enter into an unfettered relationship with him, with unhindered, there's nothing, there's nothing between us and him. We will know him face to face. We'll see him personally and it'll go on for eternity. That's the joy. Even if Jesus never performed another miracle, it wouldn't change who he is. It wouldn't change his power or his ability to do so. So this morning, I just want to encourage you, if you're facing something difficult, ask yourself, am I running to the things of this world to try and fix it, or am I running to the great God who can fix it and asking for him to enter in? Just like Philip, you may be being put to the test in your faith this morning you may be being asked by the Lord himself, how do you feel? Of me? Let's pray.